Hello and welcome to SlayerFest 98. I am your guest host, Anthony Oliveira, and I am here with uh, Buffy Superfan and recent Stonewall event impresario. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Ian Travis Crawford. Uh, Hi, Anthony. I'm so happy to have you back here. I'm always delighted to be back here, (laughs) especially for this episode. Oh, God. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, today we are joined by two lovely Scoobies. Uh, first up, we have contributing editor at Sci-Fi Fangirls. Hi, Carly Lane here. Hi, Carly. And next up, we have author of Death Prefers Blondes. Moi, Caleb Rarig. Hi. And this is we're talking about one of my favorite episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer ever, Double Meat <laughs> Palace. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> one of the series is great highlights for me. Uh, where there is some contention in the room, however, and perhaps among the fan base at large. So we are here to convince you of the excellence and uh, signature qualities of this episode. Uh, I wanted to point out all three of you requested this episode. <laughs> right, this episode rules. I I literally looked at my uh, like spreadsheet for Slayer Fest, and I was like. Who wants to do this episode? And then I was like, wait, three people actually put this down as wanting to do this. I, so great. <laughs> I have such a complicated relationship with this episode um, because I when it when I first saw it, when it first aired, I hated it. It was like a complete like D plus for me. Um, but on rewatching it, I have gained an appreciation for it because there's some it's just it's just balls to the wall. There's just bananas. There's some, it's so endear, like it's endearing in the confidence with which it makes a bunch of questionable choices. And for me, it's, yes. it's, not, it's not what we in the biz call good, but it is great. <laughs> Carly, is that your take too? What, what brought you? Why is your name on this spreadsheet? Yeah, I literally, it's funny because I was literally, I watched it yesterday, rewatched it, I should say. And um, I think it was in the same boat for me. Like when I watched it the first time, I was like, this is kind of okay. Like it's, it, it felt like a downgrade a little, but now in, in the year since, and I honestly have talked about this before in the whole scope of season six, having more of an appreciation for it as an adult, like, I think, I think there's, you find things to love about the episode that might have gone over your head just with the frying burgers and the right. sad dehydrated pickles <laughs> and the saddle shoes. That's, that's the thing is that for me, it was like, in, okay, the same season that gave us once more with feeling and tabula rasa, all of a sudden we have this episode where for 15 minutes we're stuck inside double meat palace while Buffy learns to run a cash register. For 15 minutes. minutes. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, what is happening? But, but, like I said, like, looking back, I realized, and so at the time I was like, this is the worst episode ever. But looking back, I was like, okay, so first of all, not only is this better than both Teacher's Pet and Killed by Death, it's certainly, like, conceptually, it's no stupider (laughs) than, like, I, Robot, You, Jane, or Inca Mummy Girl. And it's kind of like, it has this... I don't know how early we want to jump into this, but it has, I think this is one of my favorite performances by Sarah Michelle Gellar throughout the entire series. I think she's just selling this. She is, it's, it's a complete return to this chipper season one, awkward social outcast Buffy. Right. And I love it. I Which love it. Promised she would be like, that was the last note of gone the previous episode. Like I'm back to normal. Maybe I'm not okay, but I want to live again. Right. Like that was the, 
the final gesture of that episode was that Buffy was no longer suicidally <laughs> depressed. She's still depressed, but she wants right. to live. And the season sort of tries to take a second breath here. Double meat pals. Ian, maybe you should speak for the, the majority of the audience who frequently list this as their least favorite episode of all time. <laughs> what What is it that you detest about this episode? Um... Sorry, I'm moving my mic because my computer fan is overheating and going off. Um, um, so, uh, I don't know. I It's funny. I was talking to someone earlier today, and I was like, you know what? Anthony might convince me that this episode is not as bad as I think it is. <laughs> all I need is like a confident voice telling me, no, Ian, you think this way. And I'm like, oh, all right, sure. Well, but you don't like it, and the audience doesn't like it. So you should put their opinions on the table for us, I think. Okay. Okay. So I think watching it, I, you know, I watched it today and I was like, okay, this isn't as bad, but as Caleb mentioned, we spend 15 fucking straight minutes of her in the fucking fast food restaurant. And I just don't care. Uh, like for me, that's like a very rough 15 minute stretch, which I thought was way longer. Like I was like, I checked the timestamp on the video and was like, how fuck is it like 30 minutes yet? Is it 40 <laughs> minutes? Like how long have we been here? And it was only 15, but it still felt really long. Um, and like, I do think those are all purposeful choices, right? Like we, we know, we know Jane Spenson. We've talked to her on the podcast. She's great. She's clearly a good TV writer. She's a good writer. I think it's a choice that they do on purpose. I don't think it's like, oops, we spent 15 minutes there. If I may, but it, if I may. Okay. So, I've said the last time I was on the podcast, I said, I have a I have a complicated relationship with season six in general, because for me, this is the season where the subtext becomes text. Yeah. Willow's addiction storyline has all the subtlety of Olaf's troll hammer. <laughs> Buffy and Spike's relationship is not just metaphorically destructive. They literally fucked a house down boots. And <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, we in this episode there's but here's the thing about it that there is i have discovered in rewatching some of these episodes and forgive me for this there is a kind of nuance that happens where there is something fucking brechtian about this episode mm. there's all this stilted dialogue these 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 actors these deadpan actors delivering some of the series most absurd lines with no affectation whatsoever <laughs> there's this lurid color scheme it's, it's out of a giallo horror film and that 15 minute stretch it's like it really it actually really captures the claustrophobia that you feel if you have ever worked a minimum wage job like it has it really absolutely brings you into that place where you're like time has slowed down time has literally slowed down when do i get to get the fuck out of yeah. here right yeah i mean the, the episode like sets that yeah yeah there is a nuance it just i'm not sure that it translates the way that it was meant to if that makes sense okay so I do agree. I I agree with your points. I just so like there's a for me there's uh it can be purposefully boring and purposefully drab and all of that, but it I needed there to be so <clears throat> to pull an Anthony and jump ahead. I I needed more of like Anya and Halfrek because I loved those scenes. I thought yes. I loved seeing them together. I loved seeing them literally like sit and have tea and like gab. Um, I needed a little more of that in the episode to bring it yeah. more to life for me because the while the fast food stuff, of course, those jobs are boring. I'm working a job like that now, uh, and that sucks. But like for me, it's like okay, but also like make this interesting too. But it 
didn't do that for me. But that's the thing. So yeah, this episode lives and dies. Like the, it's it's Sarah Michelle Gellar's performance, and then the scenes with with Anya and Halfrick, and those are that's what this hangs on for me. Yeah, I don't think there's much. I mean, the Willow stuff is whatever. I, again, I've I've said before how I don't like. I don't like the magic as drugs stuff. I think that it's weakened. And I think it's fun watching season six back and being like, oh, this is how this happened. Like one person used it as a metaphor and then it turned into the structuring metaphor of it instead of being just like Willow is on a power trip. And it became like, and it's and it's yeah. because it kept being serviced in these tertiary plots. It was never thought about as much as I'd like. But um, I agree that Halfrek dialogue is like sparkling. It's wonderful, but it's actually dangerous for the episode because she is <laughs> she is so <laughs> fun that she can really damage that giallo quality that Caleb was talking about. Like to me, yeah, Brecht is where I go for this. Like Kafka is where I go for this. I really think about like uh, mm-hmm. Thomas Ligotti, like. Ligotti is like this sort of if you took Kafka and uh, and Lovecraft and spliced them together, you get Thomas Ligotti. <laughs> Ligotti is the guy that um, I remember when True Detective started and everyone was like, oh, this is so good. The only reason anyone thought True Detective was good is because um, the showrunner was literally plagiarizing all of Ligotti's uh. best speeches. So that sense of like cosmic horror in a fast food place is real. I love it so much. And I love the the willingness to bore us and the like the the way Jane Espenson's love of dialogue is here turned into producing the ugliest sounds imaginable like my favorite scene in the whole episode is when that guy is teaching Buffy how to use the griller yes. oh my god yes, he mispronounces words like he says Nostrils. everything weird <laughs> and even at his opening line of that scene he keeps using b words like um beep beep the button beef and let's <laughs> <laughs> like pleasure of displeasure and this this pleasure of like unsettlingness like when when even when spike is complaining about the lighting like everything is surrealist and upsetting and the amazing thing about the way the episode is structured is that upsettingness has nothing to do with the monster yeah. <laughs> like it is it is an episode that announces from its first scene that we are going to talk about the horrors of capitalism and just is relentless yes. about like, look what this does to people. When Spike says, this place will kill you, he's not talking about <laughs> the, the penis monster. He's talking about the actual metaphysical threats of capitalism. And I love it so much. If I could put one episode of Buffy on stage, I think it would be Double Meat Palace. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so let's start with the beginning of the episode. Um, I, so I like this back and forth. Uh, I like that it's a recap of what's been going on. Um, because I feel like we spent so much time with Andrew, Jonathan and Warren being separate that it's like, they're reminding us, Oh, Buffy, we just met them last episode, even though they've been around. I think it was like the second episode of the or no, it's uh, Flooded, the third episode of the season. Um, they've been there, but we just never saw them interact with Buffy before. Yeah. And I like Anya when she's like, please continue your story of failure. That's one of those like lines that's iconic that I forgot was from this episode. Uh, and I love when she says, that's why demons are better than people. A lot of good Anya moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's been a critique of this season that I've had where I think Anya... And I'm going to be very fair to Xander. Yeah. Uh, I think Anya and Xander's scenes break up the like boring, bleak, relentlessly bleakness. 
And I feel like we needed a little more of that this entire season. I mean, then they get, then he leaves her at the altar and I hate everything. But, um, but this, I, I like this. That's my complaint about season six, though, is that it is relentlessly downbeat. There's always, yeah. even this episode, it refuses to let you escape with a smile. And, right. and yeah, and I love that. I love that consistently Emma Caulfield brings this really kind of delightful presence to the show. Uh, I had forgotten that this was the episode where you meet Halfrek. I, <laughs> I don't like, again, like this is this, I, I want to say like, I, I, you can't call this episode forgettable, but the penis monster dominates it so much that everything else fades <laughs> into the background. <laughs> so I also, my one complaint was that, so Buffy just walks in because, you know, uh, Anya gives her like weird capitalism speech. Um, that's almost Trumpian, but I still refuse to believe Anya would have ever voted for Trump. I just don't think she would have. I don't know. If, are we, are well, we all in agreement here? I don't know. She would never she would never vote against her own interests. <laughs> so she would never she would understand that immigration is the like she is a classical liberal. Right. Like that is that is what she's positioned as, especially with this speech that. um mm-hmm. She would see diversity as our strength, right? That's the kind of thing she would say. And I think that she would vote. She would not vote Trump. She would vote. She might have voted Bush, but I don't think she would vote Trump. Um, She championed the worker. So. Yeah, she gives a nice little thesis for the episode, right? Like demons are better than people because a demon will just eat you, right? And then like the the penis monster just (laughs) wants to eat you. Double meat palace wants to suck out your soul. Um, and the, I don't know why they're eating popcorn. I find it such a weird, like, there's a lot of eating in this episode yeah. and it's very unattractive. Maybe that's the point. Like, I keep seeing, there's, you see a lot of food in people's mouths in this episode, including with the... Yes, you do, especially yeah, with Xander. Like and, like, the popcorn is, like, this weird, maybe, like, again, you just throw it in a microwave and it's done. Maybe that's why it's here. I'm not sure. Um, but I like that Anya gives us, like, a quick little, let me announce what this episode will be about, because Jane Aspen's scripts are so tight she's just like here's what it's going to be about actually this episode <laughs> reminds me most of um structurally reminds me of earshot or other episode where it's like there is a mystery and buffy's going to work the mystery and there's going to be three red herrings and then the person you thought was there as a joke the lunch lady or the cherry pie lady is actually the villain right like that, that's like a very yeah. that's how our episodes yeah. like to be structured and it's like so pleasant and what i love about it is now we're in season six and buffy already knows that so like and, and she doesn't even explain it to us. We just hear her mutter to herself, theory number five, cat burgers, right? Like she's been quietly working the problem that we've been working and she hasn't even acknowledged that she's working it. I love that. Okay, so that's where I felt. So like, you know, Anya gives that speech and then Buffy's like, well, that's good. So I was beginning to feel like a tool and she's already in her um, like work outfit. If for me, I felt, I immediately was like, wait, did we see her interview in the last episode? Like, even though I watched it and did a podcast on it, I was like, did I forget? But it was feels weird that for a season where we see so many of the boring intricacies of like her dealing with the social worker, her looking at her bills, that it's just like, oops, she has a job. Nope, we're going to work. Like there's no, I, I felt like there was something I missed, but there wasn't. But I also know like when you had a shitty job, it kind of just like, oh, you get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they uh, we definitely sh- shorthanded the the introduction to the job. However, I feel like I totally. I get it from a from a narrative <laughs> standpoint. Cutting to Buffy in that ridiculous hat was all the impact you need. I love those fucking yeah, hats, by the way. 
there's something sublime about that hat with the cow in the front and then the rooster tail in the back. It's so ridiculous. It's it's too currently trying to make a hat for Buffy to wear for the cover of this episode. So stay tuned and see if I make one. It's too absurd <laughs> to be false. Like it's so bizarre. It has to be real. That's how it feels. It has that That's fair. Yeah. 90s like Rocco's modern life kind of look to it. Like Yeah. Yeah. You know, I actually looked up, I was like, wait, when would this have happened? I like looked it up because it feels even, it feels dated for even the time, right? Because it's like 2002, I think. And it feels like it's like, yeah, like 1990, like seven or something. I mean, it's, it is, we, at some point we will have to address the giant cow in the room, which is that Sarah Michelle Gellar was most famous for being sued by McDonald's for doing a Burger King commercial where she like she shit talked McDonald's like her brand her brand before Buffy was fast food as like sort of a litigious bureaucratic nightmare so putting her in this episode has another weird meta delight to it yeah so then we you know we get her watching the video uh and again I put in my notes like I love her being all holy crap but also for me this uh, just so like they shoot for boring monotony like shitty job and it and, like for me it just like inches towards too cartoony for me. Uh, I say that in a show where you know there's a the magic as drugs metaphor and they just sang and danced for a whole episode a few episodes ago. Well, no, <laughs> I don't know. There um, is something very Kentucky Fried movie about this part of the sequence, like this whole bit. Yeah with the good reference yellow (laughs) (laughs) thank you but with this (laughs) intro video and then you know like i said there is there's this totally absurd dialogue that is delivered deadpan just totally seriously and and this i think is is what this episode lives and dies with sarah michelle geller's ability to carry the next 15 minutes where it is literally just her with this Buffy season one optimism where she is trying to make the best of a bad situation and she is going to put on a happy (laughs) face and get through it. And it's one indignity after another. And I kind of, it's, it's like, like I said, at the time watching it, watching it the first time, it was really disappointing because it's jarring. It's a jarring episode, but watching it back, I'm like, I, I actually, I really appreciate her performance here. And I really appreciate what she's doing. And the fact that she is able to carry this joke for mm-hmm. so long, just her, because she has nothing to play off of. I mean, like she's, that's the point, And that's what she's playing off of. But it's really just her doing a one woman show. It, she's like bouncing the uh, tennis ball against a backboard. See, that's, that's for me, what was missing? I, I needed like, I, I mean, I know it's one episode, they didn't really have the time. But I wouldn't have minded like a silly oh, office cast of characters. Office it, though. Like <laughs> if they had been real people, <laughs> it wouldn't work. Like to me, the delight of the script is like these people are completely affectless. Like, you know that thing that happens when you watch Gilmore Girls where it's like everyone is so witty and everyone is so clever and everyone's so alive. And it's like what's amazing about this episode is these people have been completely zombified and uh, Espenson still finds a way to make their dialogue so weird and upsetting. Like um, also like what I like about it is uh, speaking to Caleb's point, like the, the episode is really like a microcosm of the whole show, right? Like Sarah Michelle Gellar with this like wry sensibility working under this sort of um, uh, dangerously bureaucratic male figure 
who uh, has created an environment where monsters can prey, right? Like the double meat palace is like this weird little Petri dish that has been season three with the mayor and season one with the master. Like it's like all of Buffy is here in it, but now being kicked up to like 12, like (laughs) the absurdity has just become um, on the surface instead of being subterranean and like thoughtful. (laughs) But that's the thing. Nothing like, Literally, like, nothing happens in this episode, really, before Buffy decides that the double meat medley is people. Like, when we, by what happens between the opener and that pivotal moment, it's really Mm -hmm. just atmosphere. It's ominous music, it's the stilted dialogue, it's the kind of this color scheme. I think actually some really nice performances from the the day players, too. Like, she... Like when oh, you say yeah. she's bouncing yes. the ball against the wall, like actually, like the guy who plays Manny is amazing. Like if he had not been so fucking weird, it wouldn't work as well. You know, like on the page, I'm not sure he's as wonderfully sinister as he as he gets played here. That's a fair point. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? Like, I think the thing that's that's so interesting about this is you don't even really get a sense that anything super sinister is going on beyond Buffy's kind of suspicion until the end of the second act when she finds the finger in the uh, in the meat grinder. And then it starts to feel a little fishier. I mean, obviously, we got the shot of Gary getting attacked. So we we might have a sense even before Buffy, like that there's a bigger conspiracy going on. But. Um, it's, I mean, it's so interesting, too, because it, it even feels like in the scene where the Scooby gang shows up, you're like, they're not supposed to be here. This is weird. Like, it, they almost feel out of place <laughs> just standing at the counter making jokes with Buffy. You're like, she's not supposed to feel this comfortable. <laughs> like, she almost does kind of return to more of herself for that scene, you know, and then even in, even in the conversation with Spike is super jarring because they're having this really serious like he starts out with the innuendo, but then he's like, you know, oh, you're not happy here. And she's like, don't make this harder than it has to be, the kind of thing. And you're like, they're having this conversation in a brightly fluorescent, you know. It, the whole thing is just really, it, it feels very at odds with what the scene is supposed yeah. to be, which is, yeah. is kind of interesting. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, it's definitely the show when it uses a new set that's not just like, oh, a warehouse. It's always like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, Right. And especially like with what we know about what, you know, what we, we've gotten the tour, you know, Manny's taken Buffy around and like, there's really nothing going on except people, you know, standing at the counter and like, why is it getting the pickles wet? It's a great (laughs) Twin Peaks, this whole like, now let me show you this. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, and like, there's really nothing happening, but it's the enthusiasm, this sort of like muted enthusiasm with which Manny wants her to know these are the dehydrated pickles. And it's like, what the fuck is that? What the fuck is a dehydrated pickle? And then, yeah, and then she tries to... pickles, yeah. Yes. And then she... But then he has to get them wet. And then she tries to open the, the filing cabinet for not any real reason. And he's like, that's locked. And there's a huge padlock. There's a padlock the size of a toaster that is hanging on. It's like... It cites twin right because the, the woman's order is coffee and cherry pie like the, the icon right. of twin peaks right it, it wants you to think about that yes. so i guess yeah it must nail it um i do think mm-hmm. we're supposed to be ahead what i like about espenson's script here is we are supposed to be like well obviously they're serving people right like there's that early shot where what's his name is gone she's like where do you and there's that amazing my favorite one of my favorite mm-hmm. bit of set decoration is the the file folder of people whose cards are gone just as gone and it's like um 
but he, he's i think buffy's <laughs> line is something like well he's got maybe he's around here somewhere and then the kid slams down the the processed meat i, I think we're, we're supposed to be like oh well obviously this yes. is cannibalism way before buffy yeah. gets there like even before she thinks she's on the theory of cat burgers um well it's just like caleb was it you that compared this to earshot it's no, kind of that no. same format yeah. anthony yeah it's kind of that same format of like Oh, we know what's going on. Oh, wait, we don't. (laughs) The episode I was going to compare it to is actually Go Fish. And some of it is because there is that scene where I believe it is Wentworth Miller who is attacked by the, you know, quote unquote attacked by the unseen villain. And then you find like there's the skin that's out on the, and so it, and I actually don't remember, but it creates the same sort of, generally misleading red herring uh and then there's the big twist when you find (laughs) when you find out it's not what you thought it was all along (laughs) but i do think it's something something about this episode is again yeah she finds a fucking finger in the meat grinder and manny's not unduly pressed about it like he is but it's not he's nervous about the possible health code violation not about the fact that they Which, by the way, are plentiful, right? Like the meat grinder just dumps onto the floor, like <laughs> right. Uh, I was just thinking the sanit, like the sanitary conditions in that in that restaurant, where just the meat <laughs> is pouring onto the floor all the time. <laughs> this this scene also has, uh, I think, another like key dialogue exchange versus xander saying i think you're seeing demons where there's just life like this sort of <laughs> buffy is buffy is literally just learning what yeah. the world is like and it's like no something is obviously wrong here it's like no not actually like <laughs> uh and also it's like oh that's the show right <laughs> um so let's talk about that help Hel- Hel- scene uh so we get i i love the Hellfreck intro um and now that I feel like I've been doing this podcast for 500 years, I can't remember if I've told the story or not before, but I wanted to tell the story. Uh, when I was working at a Barnes & Noble on the Upper West Side in New York, um, this woman came up and, you know, you always have to ask everyone if they have a membership card and you look it up by a phone number. And she was like, oh, yeah, I do. And she, as she's giving me her phone number, I'm thinking, oh, I know this woman, which is often the thought I have when I see someone that, like, I recognize from a TV show or something where it's like, oh, do I know them? Did I go to college? with Did this person teach at one of my schools? And I'm like, how do I know this woman? And then I looked up her membership and it was this actor. Um, and, you know, I, Tina Fey was a regular and yeah. Alec Baldwin were regulars. It was like very like, okay, we're used to celebrities coming in here. But I literally gasped when I saw that it was her and was like, oh, that's how I know you. You were Calfreck. <laughs> and then I stopped myself and I was like, I'm really sorry. That was really stupid. And she was elated. She was like, you just made my day. Thank you so much. She was like, you know, I acting is so tough, blah, blah, blah. You sometimes think, what the fuck am I doing with my life? She was like, so you just made my day that you recognized me. And she like shook my hand, asked me my name and was like, I hope I see you in here again. Then I quit two weeks later. So I didn't see her again. (laughs) 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 And it was just like a really nice encounter. (laughs) I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that because this is a I I actually love Halfrag like yeah. this she really livens up this episode and this is a great intro which also yes. is a pivotal moment in the trajectory of Anya and Xander's yeah 
And, and like I said, I completely mm-hmm. forgot that it happened in this episode, but yeah. And I think that this is one of the most successful elements of this episode. Like the, these bits, the bits that, that put forward the, the storyline of Anya and Xander, because they're played with a little bit more subtlety where they're, yes, he has this dramatic reaction, but you would expect that. And it's played a little bit over the top, which you would also expect, but it's also the moment where Xander really is forced to confront the fact that he has asked an ex-demon to marry him. For the, and this is a, he's aware of this, of course, but this is the first time mm-hmm. since yeah. he proposed that he's I, really I like facing the detail up to what that, that um, means. I guess had never occurred to me until rewatching it that he's never seen her demon face. Me like too. that's a good little good little metonymy for their whole relationship, right? Like he literally yeah. does not know her as a demon, and it's like as the wedding approaches, it's like, oh, yeah, there are weird, like, it's of the same thing of her being like, well, are they going to wear um, cocktail dresses or are they going to wear burlap? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's weird It's demand. weird to think, like, only, <laughs> what, only Giles and Cordelia saw her as a vengeance demon? Well, but neither of them would have remembered it, right? Because yes. oh, right, right, right. I feel like Giles right. would already know because he knows demons, so he would be like, yeah, that's what that looks like. Um. But yeah, I, I, this is like one of the first times I, I remembered realizing that either. And then he like, I was like, wait, oh yeah, I guess that makes sense that he would have never known what she looked like. It's also a good beat to never show her human face because, I mean, for a number of reasons, because right. she is also the actress who played Cecily. Um, Spikes. Yeah, yeah Cecily. Um, which is uh, possibly they are the same character. Like, I don't know that that's ever clarified within yeah. the realm. Of the show. I think I think the comics eventually said that yeah. Cecily was a persona yes. that Halfred was using, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I yeah, think the, so. Uh, the comics did. Yeah. Like, I think they didn't land there in the show. And I don't think, because Joss Whedon used a lot of the same actors, right? Like, uh, Tom Lank was a one of Harmony's lackeys in season five and then came back for season six. Rack is, uh, Rack is what's his name? Yeah. From, uh, from Helpless. The, the, no, not Helpless. The the serial killer vampire. God, what the hell's the name? Oh my God, what's the name of that episode? Is it Helpless? No. It is Helpless, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's also, yeah. it projects forward too because when we do see her human face when she's right. Dawn's social worker, we don't connect that it is Halfrek right away. Um and it's it adds to the absurdity of her having tea while having this like completely insane face. Mm-hmm. And like, right, even if even if you don't know that they're doing it because there needs to be a reveal in a later episode, it still makes sense in the context of the show. Like, oh yeah, sure, she's has her demon face on, sure. Like, <laughs> uh, and I, right. I, I think that I love that Halfrek, you know, has this like, oh, I'm come to like eviscerate this man. Oh, Anya. And she's just like immediately like a cute friend who's excited. Uh, but then also is like, oh, you were marrying that man with the large upper arms. Why? And you kind of, mm-hmm. I, I remember the first time watching this thinking <laughs> that Halfrek was kind of like being a jerk, but realistically, when we know it in the context of larger show, Halfrek's the first person to say that to Anya. And it's like, yeah, actually, she's kind of right. Like, no, but I, I. So here's the thing. I think that the scenes, the scenes where it's dialogue between two women, mm-hmm. are the sharpest in this episode. It's the scenes with Hoffrek and Anya, and then later between Willow and Amy, where there are these moments where there's just I don't know. There's just some subtleties in there that really get to the heart of these relationships. And it's so well done. And I, I, I love the scene between where they're having tea and it's, it's just, Halfrick is, she's, she's 
picking right at Anya's most sensitive spots. And, but with this, you know, very polite kind of, oh, hmm, so he corrects you. And she's like, well, no, I mean, do you think that that, does that sound bad? And, and Hoffer's like, well, I don't know, does that sound bad to you? And I'm like, oh, yes. Like it's, and it's so, and something that I love about that too, is that I, I think that it's also the first moment where, where, because I, I, my recollection of, of that whole thing was that Xander was an asshole, basically. Um, but I like that there is this moment where she makes Anya also think about whether or not this is something that she wants, whether or not this relationship is healthy for her. Uh, and much more, which is much more interesting to me than Xander getting cold feet right. because he has commitment phobia. No one, no one wrote Emily Gilmore quite so well as Jane Espenson, right? And like all of it is here uh, before she even has that job. <laughs> Actually, wrote for that show, right? <laughs> Like that ability to imperiously and seemingly accidentally <laughs> devastate how you think about all your relationships. <laughs> right there. Yeah. I was just going to say, no, I think the thing that's really interesting about that scene is that Halfrick has no uh, point of reference for this relationship at all. Like this is literally the first time that she's even seeing them interact and getting an impression from Anya. And the things that Anya has somehow internalized about herself from this relationship, like Honestly, the part when Halfrick asks her, Anya says something like, he loves me. It's not easy, but he does. And Halfrick literally turns to her and says, who yes. told you it's not easy to love you? Like, and I'm like, girl, <laughs> it's so, yes. it's such a, it's such a really quick moment. But like, <laughs> I feel like that's another part of it that I like is that yeah. it, it, it kind of encapsulates their whole friendship in a really powerful way and shows you how close they are. Cause she, that's that's the thing a girlfriend would do like if you were telling her about your shitty you know relationship yes. or whatever and she'd be like who's telling you these things about yourself like who do i have to go you know be <laughs> sort of thing well but but especially especially because i think that that in a, a lot of ways and in a lot of times in this series that's how anya's played is kind of played for laughs right. is this she doesn't know how to mm-hmm. be human so she always says the wrong thing and she puts her foot in her mouth and it's always sort of like a haha, you know, Anya doesn't know how to behave around people. And then you have this moment that recasts it totally, where it really asks you to look at it from a completely different perspective, where it's like, well, but she's actually, you know, right. she's not a bad person, and she's trying her best. And the fact right. that, yeah, that she's constantly being judged for not doing better at being a human, which she wasn't for 700 years or whatever, <laughs> it's... I mean, you know, <laughs> I just feel like it's Anya and Christina Emanuela Jenkins <laughs> just doing her best. Well, and I and I like that because, <laughs> yeah, I, I put like how Freck is that friend. Like that's what I put in all caps. Like I and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know we watching it. Yeah, I mean you're right, Carly. It totally reframes it because we always saw it as. I mean, even though, like, I feel like as adults watching, it's like, mm, I don't love when Xander corrects her, but sometimes it's like, all right, yeah, maybe she shouldn't have said that. But Anya's not even mad at Halfrek, right? Like, that's how close they are. That, like, Anya's not getting pissed at Halfrek saying this. She's just kind of like, oh, like, giving it some thought. And she knows it's not like Halfrek being catty or mean. I think because they're also friends. built into it is, like, realizing... I mean, the show does this thing where I forget who yells it at or when. Oh, it's Willow in Triangle where she says, like, you've been a, you've been human for so long. Why don't you just learn the rules? And the flip side of that is, like, eventually it's not because she's a demon. It's just her personality. And being that, that 
And seeing that Halfrek right. actually immediately is like that girl, right? Like immediately talks like, actually the joke of Halfrek is she immediately talks like every human girl and is like, oh my God, your ring and everything, right? Like she is yeah. almost a stereotype of like a 20 something girl. And to see that, oh, it's like actually the way that Anya frames when Xander corrects her is that she has spoken incorrectly. And it's like, well, no, she's just expressing herself the way that she expresses herself. And it's not because she doesn't know the rules that she has systematized the world differently than he has. He's not right and she's not wrong. Um, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I would agree with that. And But it's funny, Anthony, because I quote yeah. you all the time about Anya. Uh, and I think it was like your one of your first episodes you were on the podcast for when you said like, it made sense that Anya had to die because her whole arc is her like learning how to be, how to live, right? how to like, live as a human. Um, so I think about that a lot. And like, I guess I don't, I don't even know where I was going with that. That's just what I always think of for Anya where I'm like, that's the only way I rationalize yeah. her death. Where I'm like, well, but Anthony really any character, <laughs> any character whose like journey is becoming like, they're doing it in the Marvel comics with vision. Like vision is currently dying and it's like that, that is the story you have to tell with humans who want with characters who want to be human. It's the story that Angel tells, right? He, the chance right. you is to live until you die. That's that's how the Buffy universe thinks about mm. what it means to be human is to be mortal. And like the whole fact that Buffy has come back is to have come back wrong because it's outside the human experience to get to come back. Right. Yeah, yeah. So then we cut to a scene of uh, <clears throat> Buffy taking a break from work. So she has is this when she works a double shift? I think right. Um, and then her and yeah. Spike are fucking question marks, dry humping behind the bummy. Busting thing happens. <laughs> it happens in Smashed too, where it's like, I don't need to see her climb onto the dick to understand what's happening. But, but it, it literally looks like they're just standing <laughs> pressed to each other. And right? <laughs> yeah. No, I was, my husband was watching it with me and he was like, that is some of the worst simulated sex I've ever seen. I was like, well, it's some, in some respects, they can't, they get in trouble for being too, you know, I mean, that's the, that's the wild part about Smashed is that it's so explicit and they don't take a single article of clothing off. You just hear the, you know, as you guys talked about it on the podcast, like the zipper, the obscenely loud zipper sound effect is like all you really need. Um, But it is it is pretty bad. <laughs> I just assume this is how three people have sex. But... Oh. <laughs> wow, their clothes are designed to not even require to be removed. <laughs> like I, I oh, yes. Oh, no. She's definitely wearing polyester pants. I just assumed that she pulled them down for this. My favorite part of this little you know, it's like two seconds or whatever is when they pan out and they're next to the board that says teamwork. The teamwork, it. yeah. <laughs> oh, so uh, bad. Oh, I didn't even oh, get it. It's so bad. This episode must have actually been quite expensive because it requires so much specific set dressing. Like, you have to make all those costumes, you have to make all those hats, you have to make all that signage. It's a one new so set that is very <laughs> I meticulous. I feel like that's why we're in fucking Double Meat Pals for 15 straight minutes is because mm-hmm. they had to pay for this and they're going to use it. When your mom yeah. buys something, she's yeah. like, no, you will wear this outfit. So then we get Amy um, coming back to see Willow. Um, I I almost wish we had gotten Amy as... I liked Amy in uh, the high school seasons, right? I liked her as the sometimes friend who like sometimes joins in and is like there to she can do a spell sometimes and maybe is morally ambiguous. I kind of like 
that I wish her and Willow had a better end. Um, you know, then we get her back in season seven and she's explicitly a villain. And then in the comics, she's also explicitly a villain. I, I like a morally ambiguous character more than I like a character who's like, now I will do evil. Um, like I like oh that. God. Can you remind me what she does in season seven? I remember her in <gasps> season in the comic, but I don't remember what Anthony what episode is her in season seven. Uh, Killer in me where she turns uh, where Willow turns oh. into Warren. Yeah. 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 Um, um, I, I, cause I liked the idea of her coming there to get her rat cage. That feels like human, right? She's like, well, I, I mean, I know, I yes, yes, Anthony, <laughs> but I like her being like, well, that's where I spent so many years. So, like, can I have it? And Willow being like, oh yeah, sure. And I almost wish that was the beat she left on, and then we just like, that was. I it. actually really like the final exchange they have here because there's a flash of something I find so amazing, where you see that Amy is just pretending to be her friend and is deeply resentful about how many years they left her in that cage. And it's like, that is a great character motivation for like, it seems like for a moment she's going to be a major villain. And it's like, and we're like, Oh, she has been playing you. She has been fucking with you. I love that flash of like, she lets a motive slip to the top and Willow reads it. And is like, if you're my friend, stay away. If you're not my friend, stay away. Cause like she, she catches that, that glimpse behind the mask that Amy's put up. I really like that. Yeah. I like, yeah, like I said, my favorite, my favorite scenes, I think like individually taken are the ones where it's, it's the one-on-ones between the women, because I think that we really get it's, and it's, it's written so well where you see, you see this exchange between Willow and Amy, where on the surface, it feels very friendly. And, And in both bits you know they're it's kind of this light jokey you know well you know it's it's it isn't much but it's home and then later at the end where she's like i can't borrow detergent okay but when they start calling me stinky amy i'm gonna tell them it's not my fault uh and it's kind of like ha 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 but there is this undertone and there is this moment where you realize that they're really fighting and 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 that it's like i mean you know obviously it's it's it played with a ham fist, but this moment where where Amy right. basically drugs Willow, you know, slips her a Mickey and mm-hmm. knocks her off the wagon. And it's not, you know, it's sort of like, oh, I'm just doing you a favor, sweetie. But it's very clearly not. And it's it's very clearly not. And Amy very clearly is not have pure motives. This was not a favor she was doing for Willow. Um, and... but I just, I feel like there is a, there's such a great, I don't know, the, the writing and the acting, the way that they played that moment. I really, really liked it. Both the, both the initial moment and then the resolution of it. I mean, I think it's the, it's the kind of thing like we, you know, Anthony's talked about before how the magic as addiction metaphor can get a little Mm bit, you know, blatant. And in this, in this initial scene, it's like very obvious that, you know, this is Willow's relapse, right? Like, but it's right. but it's not anything that she does herself. It's a friend that clearly does not have her best interests at heart, kind of thing. Um, I do appreciate that we get like I think Amy might have had the potential to be a a friend, like a pal. But also, you think about the the journey that she's taken over the course of the show, like who her mom was, all this right. stuff, and like maybe she was always kind of moving towards being a villain a little bit. Like, obviously, her path to that was 
very quickly uh, cut off, you know, when she ended up in a cage, but maybe that was like her plotting time. She had a lot of time to think while she was running in her cage, like running on her wheel. Um, it was like the pinky in the brain scenario. Like she was. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, this like problem. She was like, plotting to take over the world aware? from her. Like it, there's her like rat body. Deridian question of like, well, what is an animal mind like? Is she human in right. a rat body? Was she a, did she have like rat cognitive function? Like, <laughs> and she mm-hmm. seems unclear and like unsure about it too. Like, right. she has these flashes of like, I remember the big wheel. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. A craving of cheese. Like, well, that's the thing is, I think she doesn't have, she definitely didn't have a concept of the passage of time because she thinks that they're all, you know, back in high school still when she gets finally brought back to her human body but i don't know it's it's interesting looking at her in an episode like this versus like the witch in season one where she clearly was you know not not the villain but but that's the thing i actually think amy is a very interesting character and i wanted more with her i I also i feel like i have so many questions where the hell was she living you know she was a rat for four years or something. So it's uh, three years. So it's sort of like she had to have been. Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah. So she had to have been declared missing as a human. I I, like literally watched the last four episodes last night since the last time I was on. And she talks about like, she has to have a hard conversation with her dad about where she's been. And she keeps putting it off. Uh, I don't know. But, but I would believe that her father, I can't remember from the witch, but I think her father's like aware, like he's kind of like an absentee father, but knows what magic is. Cause the mom was yeah. a witch. So I feel like you could be like, Oh, a spell happened. I was a mouse. Hi, I'm back. And mm-hmm. he'd be like, all right, cool. <laughs> well, your room's full of crap. But like, Actually, whatever. There's an interesting Buffy parallel there where like Buffy also came back from the dead and we don't really see that parallel. Yeah. isn't really uh, picked up on. I do kind of wish, I mean, it's a, it's it's a big ask, especially in the early 2000s, to have an audience remember literally the second episode of the whole show. But but this whole right. idea of her having been violated by her mother is never really like her mother literally redesigned her body, right? Like she used to be she used to be chubby. She used to be like the girl who ate brownies, and her mom made her lose all that weight and then literally seized her body. Um, and I kind of wish some of that mm-hmm. like the violation she commits to willow this episode is already putting her on the path towards being her mom right yeah Yeah. and i Mm -hmm. I, so i feel bad for willow uh i I, it's weird because i thought this so like the middle of season six i'm not gonna lie is not uh, my favorite uh and i often skip over it so i forgot (laughs) in my head i was like oh right they're gonna like tell her she relapsed and think she did this but I was mixing it up with the last episode from Gone where Xander assumes that Willow did a spell and that's why Buffy's invisible. Um, and it just, for me, it's weird that that kind of goes nowhere. It's like she relapses, but not, there's another yes. reason why the metaphor doesn't work that well. It's just like, it's a relapse, but it's not because the friend like, yeah. Yeah. And then nothing, nothing happens. happens. It's, but that's, yeah. But that's the thing is that it, it's sort of like in this episode, nothing happens there's a little there's a dick monster behind the scenes that forwards (laughs) yeah there is a dick monster they remind you that willow has a magic addiction they remind you that that 
Anya and Xander, there's trouble in paradise, but that's about it. I mean, there really is no forward momentum. Not, not really. Uh, and that's the thing about this is that Amy doses Willow, but nothing really comes out of it. There, it isn't a spiral moment. It isn't a, it isn't this big, it isn't played for this huge, it leaves you off with this, oh my gosh, this is a horrific thing. What's going to happen next? And then what happens next is nothing. I think that speaks to why this episode is so reviled too, that um, it's, it, I mean, I, what I love about it is if nothing happens, like (laughs) that Buffy does not actually change much about the existential state of what it's like to work at the double meat palace, (laughs) right? Like it doesn't, it does not change. She has solved nothing. She's gotten rid of the one demon that's been feasting there. But as she says, there's double meats everywhere. They're all this creepy. Capitalism is not defeated. Uh, Xander and Anya do not reconcile. And it's like, the reason I think everyone thinks they hate this episode. Tell me why I'm wrong, that, Dad. Um, <laughs> first of all, well, it wants you to hate it. Like, Buffy is bored. And, like, the biggest risk I think you can do in ratings-driven television is tell the audience that the characters are bored. Because then the audience thinks they're bored. Um, and to do that and also not move the chess pieces on the board for the season makes people feel like nothing happens. Um, in fact, that's kind of why I, I, the weakness of season seven for me is that everything is big plot and there's no, there's very few nice tight little okay. standalone episodes. Uh, and what I like about Double Meat is it's like one of the last, like curtain rises, curtain right. closes at the end. And it's like, you can lift this little beautiful little box out almost in the same way you can really with Earshot, um, even though it has like deeper character it's a character piece. This one too is sort of a character piece. Like what is Buffy's state of mind like? She's going to be chipper in the face of weird, surrealist, existential despair. <laughs> Both those episodes, two of my favorite shine, Cordelia and Anya. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, that's Espenson, right? Like really, I, I wish there's a universe out there where Jane Espenson is still writing scripts for, um, oh my God, the actress who plays Anya. How am I blanking? Emma, Caul- Emma Caulfield. Emma Caulfield yeah. like they should they should have been working together for the last 10 years like that's what yeah. I want to see yeah uh so then we cut to the magic box I wanted to point out that Buffy's lipstick I'm not sure if it's a whole episode or just the last half is like fucking fantastic yes. and like shiny and like red. maybe a little bit shimmery yeah. yeah it looks great she looks so helpful against like the, the other great bit of makeup in this episode is the greasy man like he just <laughs> looks disgusting yeah. like you don't <laughs> um, yes uh yeah, so I, I love that Buffy looks so good, and I the only thing is I don't believe that she would smell bad, because she looks great. <laughs> like, she sniffs her hair, and it's like, she's like, oh, I smell. Um, but I do love the bit of Xander eating, and he's like, excuse me? And they're casually, like, grazing, like keep, they're, like, pushing past, like, oh, yeah, you might have eaten some, like, some flesh. Mm. And again, it <laughs> looks so disgusting, like, there's... Actually, uh, I think I was reading today that um, Joss Whedon said the only time advertisers ever threatened to pull out of the show was this episode because people were so disgusted by like the way that it was making fast food so unappealing. Um, and like McDonald's was one of the show's sponsors. <laughs> uh, but, oh my God, again, like I see straight into Nicholas yes, Brendan's mouth so as gross. it's full of food. And it's like, no, why? <laughs> <laughs> and like i needed i needed more of those moments because i like that i also like um is it's a little bit later when anya's like oh sorry i was late because she was talking to Halfrick and 
she looks at what they're doing and i think it's like dawn is like we're doing chemistry and she's like oh so sorry i hurried <laughs> that's a great line. i also but that whole bit right there it's like my, i think my absolute least favorite moment in the episode is also in this scene where where willow is like pouring colored water into her different beakers and she's like you know oh, why is it taking so long i don't need magic i don't need it i don't need it and i'm like girl like uh, there's just the again it's like getting that pounding that metaphor out on an anvil i'm just okay we get it she's twitchy she's you know nervous she's agitated she's, she's everything but sweaty because of you know she needs her fix yeah also the chemistry sets like very comical looking <laughs> right <laughs> i've never liked this way the way this show this is just my own my own hangups but i don't like the idea of saying magic is something different from chemistry like i don't really understand what the divide we're trying to say is that was here. My, that's like, my other issue is that it seems like when they show willow having drug withdrawal symptoms but then her complaint is that everything takes too long and i'm like well so is this a is this a she's impatient thing like is this a character thing or is this like a right. physical thing can we, and can, yeah, can yeah, we exactly. clarify that and actually pursue one or the other? And the addiction element won't matter for yeah. the climax, right? The issue will be that the, that Tara is, um, spoilers everybody, <laughs> Tara is dead and she can't, she's not allowed to fix it. Like that is, that is what will cause the breakdown. Right. It's not like, oh, she really needs, like I really, one of my least favorite lines of dialogue in the whole entire series is when she's fighting with giles she says who's your supplier it's like this is not what this is about anymore <laughs> i don't <laughs> yeah and yes. I, right and i think it would have worked without the metaphor right i i think it 100 percent would have worked i mean not that of course i wouldn't want tara to die if i could prevent it but if we if like we were always gonna kill tara i didn't need the like magic metaphor fine they could have broken up and had it be like oh they had this tearful reunion that was very sweet they got to finally do it and like us see it more like explicitly like oh look they're laying naked in bed uh but i yeah. didn't need the magics as drugs um as as adam sass has said on the podcast the <laughs> you know uh true blood did it worse <laughs> uh with the like god hates fangs and it's like oh look the vampires are like gay yeah. people but also they murder a lot of people right. so you know also it's very early 2000s like the it's not even that it's a drug metaphor. It's that sometimes the drug is marijuana. Like when Amy's like, it's not, it's not what you think. It's sage. Like how many times are magic spices mistaken for weed on this show? Like we will ruin your life kids. This is your brain on drugs. Like it has that very, there's, this is a period piece now. Like it's ideas about drugs are very dated yeah. too. <laughs> We we will ruin your brain kids. Sometimes 20 years later, we'll be hosting a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. <laughs> well, it's like they haven't even really stuck to a consistent metaphor even with the magic use right because before drugs it was you know well we're just going to mm -hmm. use it to display any kind of like queer sex like anytime the willow and tara are quote doing a spell together you know <laughs> <laughs> like even up until the musical episode it was you know we're like oh, kind of interchangeable. Is that, at, is that like at some a point. is that a hard so. line? Is that the moment where magic stops being? Well, then again, the Amy stuff is also kind of queer coded. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like until a moment, it was magic mm -hmm. equals gay, and then all of a sudden, mm -hmm. magic equals 
drugs. And it's like, I'm not sure. Right. <laughs> magic equals drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so that then we get like uh the more actiony parts barely, which yeah. are barely it's barely action uh barely because like this little old lady with like a giant dick coming out of her head i think old lady penis head i think she is one of the stronger performers in the episode and yep. if it weren't for her selling this very kindly old lady who has a giant penis growing out of her head if she weren't selling that, it wouldn't work. Like, if this could have been, even, like, this could have been just ridiculous. But she kind of made it work by being such a kind of warm presence in the episode. But I also want to say, what the fuck is with the double meat house? Is this the least secure building in Sunnydale that Buffy breaks in, and then and then old lady Penishead breaks in, and then Willow breaks in, and Willow who shows up and tries to get in the first time ends up shouting through the 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 you know, drive through and then somehow finds a way then she's in. And it's like, we never even, is there like, did they just leave a door open? Is there like, like how did all this happen? I I love (laughs) the moment where Buffy slips presumably in blood and comes up with a severed foot and a shoe with spats. And she's like, Oh Manny. And then she carries this, like this bloody stump around for at least like a commercial break. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> she never she never thought to like maybe put it down. She's just carrying it till she finds something else to pick up, which is a Again, wig. it was an expensive prop they had. <laughs> they were like, We are using this fucker. <laughs> I, I do like Willow saving the day. Uh I like watching them I like watching them have to like fight a thing together right like for me that's i i like yeah. that i like willow's like you missed me and Again, chops it, it felt, off with is that an action i don't know early season two to me because the whole, the whole the vibe of the episode felt very yeah. bad to me yeah. mm-hmm. well again like microcosm actually it's weird they don't mention its dick likeness until a later episode when willow <laughs> if I hadn't been gay before. But like again, like microcosm of the whole show, like we have to destroy the phallus. The phallus is gone. Hooray. Like um, I do the lady's design reminds me most. I used to have maybe I'm older than everybody, but uh the Ghostbusters toys with the Ghostbusters toys, like the Ghostbusters toys were always like the ghosts were always like a human looking body and then you'd like pull a lever on their back and like something would happen. I really love the design of that like when her head splits open, yeah. her eyes go up the stalk with it. Like, that's so cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, that's actually yeah. a really good comparison. Yeah, I think there was like, wasn't there like a Ghostbusters where like the mouth yeah, popped out or something? Like the, it looks like a businessman, but he's a werewolf when you pull the lever. Or like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Caleb, I, I love that you use that photo today on Twitter <laughs> because that part makes me laugh and I'm not sure if it's an intentional laugh or not when it's just like, the weird dick thing pops out of the grinder oh, and Willow screams. Like, like, Buffy stabs it with a plastic fork. Like, it is meant <laughs> to be silly, surely. Like, yes. <laughs> right. Well, and this, she screams twice. She screams once when it, when it like, jizzes the paralytic fluid yeah. out there. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of the funniest shots in the entire episode. It's just yes. this you know, phallus spraying towards her face and her and Allison Hannigan screaming bloody murder. Um, <laughs> but then the second time when it pops up before she sh- they both shove it into the grinder. The grinder. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, so then, you know, they solve that issue. Um, then we get Amy and Willow's uh, like final scene. We already kind of talked about that. Uh, then we get Buffy's final scene with the uh, mm-hmm. new boss. Um, the other one died, right? Isn't that what I already forget? Yeah, he's he's the into, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was his bloody foot stump. Imagine having stump. shoes so ugly right, that right, when you right. die, it's how they could identify the body. Is like, oh, there's Manny's ugly shoe. <laughs> well, I feel like for me, they'd be like, oh yeah, he's wearing <laughs> one of his like really stupid colored shoes. Oh yeah, they're bright orange. They're bright yellow. You know, that's Ian. <laughs> uh, but oh but it, here's the thing so here's the thing there's two things i love when i love Number when you one. or adam sass say here's the things i know something good is coming <laughs> <laughs> but it's two things number one there's buffy finds a fucking finger in the meat grinder right and she brings it right. to manny and he is very much like oh well you know who knows it He's could like, be Oops. anything could be, could be <laughs> he lets her take it home like I, and i'm like I, I, I was I didn't think about this the first time I saw the episode, but I was like, they literally he just let her take wrap it up in a napkin and take it home. Nobody got called. There was no I, and I was like, that's not normal. And at the time you're thinking, oh, of course, because they're putting people in right. murders. And then when you find out that's not true, you're like, he just he did he really just didn't care. He found a finger in the, but then later Me as a retail manager. She finds this whole, <laughs> yeah, right. But then later she finds his whole bloody stump in the restaurant. And then when the new manager yeah. comes in, Manny has just yes. disappeared. I, so I thought about that too. It's like, yeah, but did, so, did no one alert them that the people were murdered? It happens a lot in Sunnydale. Right. It's not like that's so, crazy. Yeah. So what happened to his foot? What did Buffy do with it? What happened to it? So she's, I mean, so she's participating in covering it up, obviously, because it's easier than telling people there's a giant <laughs> penis demon. But I killed the penis demon, so it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> I just right? I just hope they washed the grinder after that penis went in it. Like that oh, <laughs> oh, God. Well, and, then, right, and then to your point, Caleb, like what did what happened with the lady's body? Yes. Because she was there. <laughs> she had a whole ass body that was still oh, right. With the penis stump, just you know. <laughs> with the penis stump oh, out of her head. Um, it's all very So yeah, I think we're there at the end. Uh oh wait, no, so when when Buffy, the new manager, I meant to look her up because she looked familiar. I was like, oh, is she from something? She does have a, that that person. Kind I, of I looked her up. Oh, what's she from? I looked her up. Um, so she was in like, she was a very, hey, it's that lady. She was in a lot of things. Um, and I've already forgotten what all of them were. But it was, it was, yeah, she was like a, oh my gosh, I'm going to think of it the second that we sign off. But she was sort of like a, um, she played a character. <laughs> here's my, here's how my brain works. She played a character named, Karen Vick, I want to say, but I can't remember. I think you're very specific about her name, but you don't know. The casting is important, right? Because she has to sell actual wholesomeness. She has to sell that the whatever weird energy has somehow dissipated and that Buffy can, (laughs) she can hate this job, but it won't be just like this absolute existential dread from now on. Um, And like her, she's the five year, not the 10 year, right? Like maybe you can do this for a while and not, be the worst thing that ever happened to you i i did think buffy should have been like yes i do want money yes pay me out so i don't have to come back to this job yes i was like take the bribe make them bribe you like do it also it says a lot <laughs> oh, about how much things psych. have changed in 20 he years on psych oh i don't even know what i don't know Sorry. what that is yeah she played karen Vick on psych so i remember the name oh okay okay i know what that show is i've never watched it but i know what it is sorry to interrupt. Uh, 
Oh, I was just going to say, like, you, you, a lot has changed in 20 years that, like, it would be a secret that your your product was vegetable-based beef tallow stroke. Like, that would be so appealing to so <laughs> many people I know where it's like, oh, less red meat, just like the fat. Like, <laughs> right. right. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, in the world of the impossible Whopper <laughs> that we're getting now, like, yes. <laughs> the news that the double meat medley is actually vegetable-based and the secret ingredient is meat. <laughs> <laughs> the same like, beef. Wasn't that like wasn't that like a thing with Taco Bell a few years ago where it came out that like their beef was like I really think that not that this meat? whole episode that like the final prestige of the reveal what the the meat process is is like referencing rumors we've all heard like uh, McDonald's used to have a campaign where they had to convince you that their Big Macs were made of beef and like everyone was like but then why is all beef trademarked and they had to be like no because it's our phrase not because the beef is fake like so there's like and when they had the chicken tenders <laughs> it would be like real chicken and it's like um why do you need to clarify for the yeah, exactly <laughs> and again this goes 100 exactly. to sarah michelle geller having been sued right like yeah. that's what that is what her burger thing was about is like isn't our beef better than their beef right like, <laughs> uh okay so we're at the end um fave fa- but here oh and here's this is my this is my thing about this season though, is that it's this kind of funny jokey bit where she's like, so the secret ingredient in the beef is beef. And it's like ha ha ha, but then we end with Buffy staring down the double barrel of her future as a name tag person. And you're not allowed to leave on this high note. She's gotta you've gotta end with this. I wanna see you aiming for this. And she points at her five year pin and Buffy realizes right. this is her life. Season now. six is like, um, is it is it Tokyo story that has the the climactic line like isn't life disappointing and that's like what season six is about like isn't isn't life disappointing um. <laughs> uh so okay so now we're at the end um favorite outfit Carly there were a lot of good ones honestly in this episode for me like the tank top that Buffy wears yeah. in that scene I think you were talking about Ian where she comes in with the black tank top mm-hmm that I liked a lot. I liked Anya's like purple shirt mm-hmm. with the draped sleeves, like the cutouts. And then that outfit that Willow wears at the end when she confronts Amy is like very like Ren Fair, mm-hmm. witchy kind of, you know, with the like lacing up the front. But if I had to pick one, I pro- I'll probably say Buffy's tank top because I feel like it's just such a simple. Oh, and then the jacket that she wears at the end too is so good. Oh. There's a lot of good looks, honestly, because like <laughs> it was one of the honestly it was one of the things I was watching the episode going, okay, mm-hmm. I know I have to pick a favorite outfit. So, um, <laughs> but now I'm gonna I, I will say the black tank top, Buffy's black tank top. All right, Caleb. So I, I've already extolled the virtues of the uniform, which I think is my I think it is my favorite just because it's so absurd. Um, but I, and, and I love there is this like primary color scheme, this like really garish like. It, it just, they really drive it home. Um, and I love that. But I feel like it's cheating since that's like 80% of the episode there in this uniform. So so as a, my secondary thing, I actually really like Amy's outfits in this. Mm-hmm. Like people don't understand that how much the late 90s and early 2000s are about these flowing sweaters. And there are so many flowing sweaters in this episode. Oh, but flowing belted sweaters yes <laughs> comes in twice wearing the same belted cardigan but she's got these red top these different red tops underneath it i like the second red top 
Is it a different outfit? I thought that was a. I thought I actually thought that was a continuity error. So yeah, they're, they're different because oh, so so the first one oh. she has these. It's like polka dots. The second one, it's more like this kind of like wine red, and then she's got this this embossed like or embroidered detailing underneath the bodice. The second outfit she's wearing jeans, and the first outfit she's wearing red pants. And I love the red red in that first outfit, but I like the top better in the second outfit. All right. We, we love an attention to detail, Caleb. Uh, <laughs> Anthony? Actually, going to that attention to detail, do, do Willow and Amy have signature magic colors? Oh, I don't know. Because I feel like in Smashed, when they're enchanting the room, every time one of them casts a spell, it's a different color. And I'm trying to... I'm, I, I feel like I want to think about whether Willow at some point has like a color effect um, or if it's just always always alternating. Anyway, um, I'm definitely going to just pick the um, the double meat outfit. Yeah. It is. <laughs> I knew like, you would. It is actually. Yeah. I think one of like the great TV costume icon outfits. Um, the whole double meat thing. I'm obsessed with. Actually, the way I prepared for this episode was watching the last four episodes in a row. The first thing Amy does. Uh, when she is humaned is she runs to the TV to catch up on what she's missing. And if you watch, I've never noticed yes, this before. Yes. <laughs> if you listen to that scene, it's a commercial for the double meat palace. Mm-hmm, and like, mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with the double meat palace as like a, a, a TV space. <laughs> like I said, I want to put it on stage. I want to write a spinoff series about it. Uh, that costume is everything to me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, my favorite is the end the outfit Buffy wears in the end I love that I think it's like a uh, the one Carly mentioned that like I think it's like a sleeveless tee but it has like that star that was like I don't know if y'all remember like back in the day the Stone Temple Pilots like logo like almost reminds me of that Uh, and then I I put the jean jacket slash I'm not sure if it's just a denim button up that she wore open but I I love an all black with a, a denim accent that's like what I wear all the time. <laughs> so I'm going to go with that outfit. Um, <laughs> favorite scene, Caleb? Oh, man. Uh, my favorite scene, is, it's got to be Anya and Halfrick having tea. That that little, just just mm-hmm. those bits where, where I, I don't know, the, everything. There, there was so much. That was the most nuanced this episode got, just like the layers in that scene of the two of them together. And it was played so well. It was pitch perfect. I loved it. Carly? Uh, I'm gonna say Buffy and the guy at the grill because oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a meat process. <laughs> it's, a, it's a process, and they do it to the meat. It's what they call the process. <laughs> the Eyelashes, nostrils. It made a plug at your ears. It has a bulb mechanism. <laughs> Favorite scene. <laughs> that one. Oh my god. Everything about just listen to the sounds of the words he's speaking in that. Like I'm obsessed <laughs> with the way Jane is obsessed with sounds and like the beef button uh yes. beef, beef Put button. It on the bun. Like I can't even I've watched it three times and I'm not sure if the actor actually makes a mistake where he says beep instead of beef, or it's just my ear hearing it wrong. Yeah. Or what but I was wondering that too, if it's like a on purpose mistake or if it's just like a mistake. Yeah. And then like the like the words like plug and like bulb mechanism and just like <laughs> that gets pushed over the top by the actor's choice. 
nostril. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Favorite scene. It's like the the in Twin Peaks. It's like with when Pete Martell finds the fish in the coffee percolator. Oh yeah, yeah. And the yeah. way that he says those when he says percolator, and the way that he talks about finding the fish and this like this glee in his expression it is so off-putting and it's so weird like so deliberately weird right it's that whole wrapped in plastic thing (laughs) you know uh so my favorite scene is i all the anya halfrecht stuff i i love them together uh i think the show that's a thing i love in season seven is when we see more of like that first episode it's uh, Anya and Halfrek, their scene is at the espresso pump. They're just hanging out and, you know, Anya's talking about her failed relationship and how shitty Xander is. I love getting more Anya. It's something I wish we could have gotten more of with Cordelia. Um, and I think we could have gotten more scenes of Anya and Halfrek together. Uh, so I love that. Um, okay, grade. Uh, Anthony, what grade do you give this? Oh, A+. Plus. <laughs> a++. Plus plus. It's It's a perfect... There's nothing I would change. Like it, it, it sets itself a goal. It wants to think about like the evils of capitalism. It, it wants to set a tone. It achieves it perfectly. It, it, it's masterful in like its willingness to bore the shit out of you and to upset you and to disgust you. Like it wants you to think about how like even like when Dawn is like, there's still some scribblings oh, of yeah. meat in there. Like everything about it is so. <laughs> disgusting and like i love watching espenson who's like so happy to be cheerful and like write these hoffrick scenes just like really delighting in upsetting you um i love it it's perfect right and like the climax of that like disgusting meat grinder (laughs) the dick going in it and like that putrid stuff comes out like it's perfect it's perfect i wouldn't change every time one of us says dick in the meat grinder (laughs) i'm like uh carly (laughs) uh i'm gonna say b plus because uh, I feel like, and I think we talked about it a little bit earlier, but um, it doesn't move anything forward. But I think the thing that I like about it is it kind of sows the seeds of plots to come. Like you get Anya kind of starting to have, you know, the first stirrings of maybe self-doubt about her decision to marry Xander. And the Halfrick scene alone really kind of like elevates it. But then also it's one of those episodes I think you go back and find even more delightful things that you didn't necessarily notice before, especially, you know, and this is something that Caleb said, if you're watching it, if you're watching it thinking that you're going to get a traditional Buffy episode, you're going to be disappointed. But if you go into it with absolutely no expectations, whatsoever, (laughs) and just let it like, let it flow over you. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good (laughs) metaphor. Just let it, just let it grind you like the dick. Uh, let it churn you up. I don't know. Gone. Uh, <laughs> it's a meat process. It's, it's a meat, meat process, process, as they do. The- uh, <laughs> Caleb, what grade do you give this? I watched this episode when it first aired, and it was really disappointing. Like I, I, it was a total D plus for me at the time because of what I expected coming into it, and because it really, it really steps outside the. It's like. I feel like season six in a lot of ways is very uneven and this step totally out of the trajectory of the main storyline and gave you this really weird detour. Um, It is a slow episode. It doesn't really bring anything forward. uh, And I didn't really appreciate what it was trying to do at the time because of 
what I wanted it to be trying to do. Rewatching it, there's a lot in there that I found that I actually really liked. I really love Sarah Michelle Gellar's performance. I love, I love the scenes with Emma Caulfield and Callie Rocha, and I love, I do actually kind of love the gleeful absurdity of it. I love how confident it is in its absurdity. So there is meta commentary in there, and it took me a while to be able to look back and appreciate it. I'm going to give this a solid, like, B, I think. Like, B, maybe B+. Yeah, I don't... Here's the thing. I don't love it. Even knowing what I know about it, even being able to appreciate it looking back, I still feel like it's a weird... It's a weird moment. I, I don't think it belongs in season six. I really feel like this episode should have been season one, season two... It fits perfectly. So, because uh, I remember reading an interview at the time with Joss where he said that his direction to the, the writer's room was take your favorite scary mo- movie and your most embarrassing moment, put them together, and you have an episode of this show. And I'm like, yes. And that totally worked for the first couple of seasons. And I could totally see this as like a Soylent Green, as kind of like a, you know, one of these sort of films, like an existential horror. I totally see this fitting in with that program. I think by season six, I really wanted this to tackle something more than what it was. So where it is placed within the overall sort of scheme of the show, I still think it. I still think it's a step back in terms of the the progress of the series. But in terms of a self-contained hour of television, I have to admit that watching it back, it is really entertaining. All right. Uh... Now I'm not sure where my grade is now because I put in my notes a C plus slash B minus, but I feel like you all have convinced me. I don't know. I'm such a like easy Yay. like oh, for the A plus. Uh, it's so good. You have unfortunately not sold me on the A plus, but you might have sold me on maybe B minus. No, oh. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I'm going to sit on the border. Here's the thing for me. Like this episode, either it did what it wanted to do or it completely failed. Right. Like I I have trouble giving this anything in the middle. Right. Like how could it kind of. (laughs) Well, like for me, it I. Yes, I, I. I think you're right. Either. I think it did either completely do what it was supposed to or like failed at what it was trying to. I'm not sure where it landed on that. Uh. I just know how I felt watching it. I don't know. Like those 15 minutes in Double Meat Palace, I was like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, come on. Um, but, but this is what, and I, I commented on this earlier where I was like, I, I, I totally now, like looking back, I, I get what they were doing with that. I get, or at least I think I do. I understand that, that that 15 minutes where it feels like you are trapped in this diving bell and you can't escape and you are stuck inside this minimum wage, <laughs> shitty fast food place with these cobalt walls and these awful uniforms and these people with these ridiculous orders and every nothing makes fucking sense and you're with these people who've had all the life drained out of them. I totally get like it it really does sink you into this this what that feels like in real life. And I appreciate the artistic nuance of that. However, I don't know that it translates into the general scheme of season six. I just don't know that it it works in terms of the broader symphony of the story being told. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, (laughs) um, 
I think we're done. <laughs> uh, thank you all for joining us. Um, Anthony, always lovely having you oh, co-host I, I could talk about this episode for another hour and a half. I'm happy to be here. I know, baby boy. <laughs> uh, and it was so nice to have you both back, Carly and Caleb. Um, also weird that it was the first time all three of you have been on together yeah. when the three of you have been in been on for plenty of episodes. Um, yeah, so if you all want, like SlayerFest 98, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And if you really like us, you can subscribe to our Patreon, where I have special mini episodes. Patreon really helps me... Uh, get things done for the podcast with booking, editing, recording, and <clears throat> doing some live events like the last one I just did. Uh, and if you want to follow us on social media, we are on Instagram and Twitter with the same handle, at SlayerFestX98. And I am the same handle everywhere, Ian X Carlos. Anthony, where can everyone find you? Uh, every No, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm on Twitter and Instagram and a bunch of things as Mia Koopa, M-E-A-K-O-O-P-A. Uh, and I think I'm about to do a Patreon episode with Ian about Marvel Comics, right? Like, yes, we're we are. literally about to do that. Yeah. So you can find me at Ian's Patreon in like 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the veil has been lifted. Um, Carly, where can everyone find you, now Carly? everyone knows how the sausage gets made. Um... <laughs> Um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter uh, at my name, Carly Lane. Uh, I'm also the contributing editor at Sci-Fi Fangirls, which you can visit at sci-fi.com. Uh, you'll probably be able to hear me podcasting soon on our uh vertical podcast which is called strong female characters i have a segment on there called get wrecked uh where my co-host and i recommend uh romance novels for people to check oh. out so if you're interested we're, we're our first official segment uh releases very soon if it hasn't already i don't know when this is coming out in uh, timey wimey i'm not sure either <laughs> so all right cool uh caleb how about you so you can find me on Twitter at MikeCalebRerig, M-I-K-A-L-E-B-R-O-E-H-R-I-G, or on Instagram at my name, Caleb Rarig. Last name is R-O-E-H-R-I-G. I have to spell that all the time. <laughs> or you can find me wherever books are sold. I have three young adult novels in print, and I have two more coming next year, including a vampire novel called The Fell of Dark, and um, a... Uh, <laughs> a werewolf novel called A Werewolf in Riverdale. Oh, a Riverdale novel. Also, both. Caleb, I yes, feel like are available for pre-order. all of you YA authors that I have on are like beasts and always have like, oh, well, my two books just came out last month and my next two books are coming out next month. And I'm like, how do you people have time? Ugh. Oh, yeah, um, I should mention, I actually have two uh, anthologies coming out next month. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, also, I am very biased, but Death Prefers Blondes <clears throat> mentions the podcast in the acknowledgments. So, you know. Working in a bookstore, I have told everyone that. Thank you. Yes, if you like drag queens and you like jewel heists, well, Death Prefers Blondes is the book for you. Yeah. All right. Um, we'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.